Hey. Hello. How are you, all right? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm good, thank you. I'm good. How are you holding up with uh, with COVID? Because you're isolating at the minute, aren't you? I am, yeah. So my sister just got confirmed COVID, so then we had to isolate. And then I was feeling a bit poorly the last couple of days, so I thought I'd get tested. But I've come back as negative at the moment. Um, so, yeah, hopefully it isn't COVID, because our isolation will have to start again if it is. So. Oh. It's not good as it is, is it? No, no, it's not. I mean, you forget that other things exist that make you feel poorly, but as soon as you feel even slightly poorly, you're like, oh, is it COVID? <laughs> yeah, that's it, though. It's like you cough and you think, oh, my God, I've got COVID, or you have a temperature and you think, oh, God, I've got COVID. It's not like we're in the middle of winter. Everyone's yeah. going to get some form of cold or something. I know. <laughs> Just honestly. I know. Honestly. But my sister didn't think that she thought that she had something else. She didn't have COVID symptoms the first couple of days she was ill. And then she she then had COVID. So I did think it was a bit strange. But I have obviously been tested. So I mean, I might have it. I just might not know yet. But I don't Yeah. Know. <laughs> well, that's it. You didn't have it when you were tested. Exactly. And it can take a few days. But I haven't seen her since Sunday, I think. So... Yeah, I haven't seen it since Sunday. So. Yeah, so five days, roughly, incubation period. So you'll know tomorrow or Saturday, at least. Yeah, I don't fancy getting tested again. I didn't know that when you get tested, um, that you have to do it yourself. Yeah, yeah, they won't come anywhere near you in the car or anything. You have to physically do it yourself. Yeah. I had to do it with my, with my seven-year-old in the back. Yeah, that... Did he need testing as well or not? Yeah, he need well no, it was just him that needed testing. Oh shame. Yeah, so that that wasn't very nice. That was no. quite Yeah. That was a little while ago now, but yeah, that wasn't very nice because Pardon? Did he cry? Yeah. And he gagged as well, because it's obviously right at the very, very back of the throat. Yeah. It's not you nice. Rape like, it along the back of the tonsils. <laughs> Yeah, trying to get us trying to get a seven year old to not sort of throw up in the car and oh, not cry and yeah. not be terrified when you've got people like three people outside of the car with masks on, sort I of know. waiting for you to give it to them. It's like I can't rush him. I know, it's quite traumatic for them. Like I found it a bit traumatic and I thought it was gonna be different to how it was and then I'm sat there and they've they've all got their PP on outside the car and I'm like well, this is strange and they're like using um I don't know if they did this with you but you know the trash picker clippers yeah they're using them to take the COVID test out the car and I'm like I do feel like I've got an infectious disease you're making me feel like that <laughs> it's like it's like that film um Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman from years yeah. ago God. where everyone's in hazmat suits and everything he's using the oh it's horrible I isn't it hazmat's on that's what I want to know yeah it's <laughs> Yeah, they may as well have hazmats on, let's be honest. It's just ridiculous. Can't afford them. <laughs> <laughs> no, Boris will find a way of, of affording them, though, won't he? Let's be honest. We'll just yeah. pay more tax next year and the year after and the year after. Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you no, know it's coming. If paying it back, it'll be a COVID relief where they just want to put it in the bank in case this happens again. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's not going to go away. It's going to be like the flu. It's never going to go away. Yeah. It's just going to be there now forever. Hopefully not to this degree, though. No. It's a, lot, yeah. it's a lot to take in at the minute. It's a lot to adjust to. With schools now and close until middle of like beginning of March, and we have another six weeks of homeschooling. Yeah. It's a lot. Homeschooling is hard as it is. Oh you know, God. I think everyone should be able to put on their CVs now. Teacher. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't think anyone want me teaching their children. Has it been that disastrous for you, has it? My daughter is very well behaved. She's really good. She does like to do her work. She is really good. But sometimes I'm just like, no, like I don't want to spend my time doing this. 
I have to do other, I have so many other things I need to do that I can't sit down for three or four hours a day and be a teacher. Like, no, it's, it's hard for working parents to do anything. Yeah. You know, they, they can't. When you look at the work, I'm like, well, oh, I don't know what they're talking about. Don't ask me. Like, it's so different to how I was taught at school. It's ridiculous. Everything's different. I've forgotten all the maths anyway. I don't do maths. I don't know what they're on about. I can do budgets and spreadsheets, but oh, none of this, like, I don't know what she's learning. It's, it's confusing for me. I'm like tapping out, like, no, no, thank yeah. you. <laughs> like, like, you are on your own, Summer. You are on exactly. your own. I read the thing saying it said she needs to do watercolours. I'm like, well, we don't have any watercolours. Nobody told me that I needed to provide watercolours. And they're like, don't worry, if you don't have any watercolours, you can just use like a sketching pencil. Do you think we have a sketching pencil? No. You have, have crayons. A... Yeah, exactly. I have Sharpies coming out <laughs> my ears, but sketching pencils, no. Yeah, let, me just, have... uh, let me just pop down to the works. Oh, no, wait. Can't do that because they're closed. Can't do that because I'm in isolation. I just ordered some watercolours off Amazon earlier. Oh, so nice. Yeah, so and, yet you, and yet you'll still magically get them tomorrow. Yeah, I know. Crazy, isn't it? It's mad, isn't it? It's mad. Uh, so, you kind of do a bit of everything, don't you? Yeah. You do a little bit of everything. You, you're an actress. You're a model. You have uh, your own film company. You yeah. started Yes She Cans. Yeah. And you pretty much all over Instagram and Facebook as well. Yeah. And Twitter as well. So you kind of do a bit of everything. Is that is that because you just fell into it or is it something you've always wanted to do, like producing and, and everything? Because you've got your own company. Faithful films, isn't it? I haven't got anything in front of me, by the way. Nothing. <laughs> nothing at no all. Information. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, no. So I started acting and I really loved it, but sometimes I felt like what was being produced afterwards, I didn't particularly like the way that I didn't have much control over it. Yeah. And I felt like creatively it almost wasn't enough just sort of doing the acting. And I was doing like a lot of extras work as well. And so I had a lot of experience sort of sitting around watching what was going on and seeing the production side of things. Um, and yeah, it was really interesting to see sort of how things worked from a different perspective. Because sometimes when you're acting, you're so in your role um, that you don't really step back to see what else is going on. So yeah, I met some girls who were in the industry and they were like doing producing and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. You're like women not much older than I am and you're doing all this producing and stuff. So I thought that was really cool. Um, and so I decided that I would like to do that as well. So I sort of started asking around and looking into it and found out that you don't actually need to be qualified or anything to do that. <laughs> so I was like, do you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go for it. And yeah, that's sort of how Faithful Film started. Um, and we've, you know, done a few films and stuff with it. It's going really good. And then I was attending Cannes Film Festival and that was really good fun. And then I sort of started to see a need for something there. And I thought it was something that I could potentially help with and fill a need. So then I decided to start Yes, She Can um, to sort of encourage and support more women at the film industry and the film um, festival. Because it was around the time that a lot of Me Too movement was happening, which was really great. But um, I think that there was a bit of negativity around the festival and a lot of women were feeling like a little bit like it was a scary place to be and they didn't really know anyone. And it is quite a scary thing to go to Cannes for the first time. I mean, time. the fact you even went to Cannes is like I know. unbelievable. Absolute dream come true. Like the first time we went was because I was dating an actor and it was his birthday the same week. And I was looking into what I could do for him for his birthday and I saw Can and I was like, wouldn't it be fun if we could go and look at the festival and like just walk around and see what we could see? And then I was like, being me, being me, I was like, well, that's not enough. I wonder if we can get in. So I sort of put some applications in and I got accepted initially and he got declined. And then we had to go through the appeals process um, and we managed to swing it so that we both ended up getting accepted. So we went as a holiday to sort of, 
actors in Cannes and see what it was like. Um, and I just absolutely fell in love with the whole thing, the festival, mm -hmm. the red carpets, networking, the opportunities. So yeah, I ended up obviously going for quite a few years now. So every time I go, I'm always really surprised I get accepted and I'm always, I always feel really grateful. And it's the craziest thing. I've got all kinds of celebrity stories and crazy events and it's just madness. And I've met so many amazing people as well through it. So, you know. It's got to be great networking for you, isn't it? it has to be like a, a great opportunity to network and to sort of rub shoulders with with those sort of people you see on the big screen, I guess. Yeah, and like it's this crazy party world mixed with this crazy business world, and business falls into partying all the time, and it's just you can't almost describe it unless you've experienced it. And I think that's why a lot of people really do fall in love with the festival because it's like so much of what the magic of cinema in Hollywood is about, but in a place that's really accessible where everyone is really open to sort of talking and networking and learning from each other. So it doesn't quite have the same sort of stigma that people have told me that like places like Hollywood actually do have where it can, I mean, I haven't been myself, but I've heard that it can be a bit more of a closed book, whereas in Cannes everyone is literally there you know completely open to meeting people and one year I was there I think it was the second year I was there I was having a coffee outside in a restaurant and I just got chatting to this couple of guys that were sat next to me and um, one of them turned out to be quite a big film producer he produced stuff like Sicario and John Wick and Wind River and we got on really well and we're really good friends and we've been still talking for years now and it's amazing to see his journey and for him to see what I'm doing as well but he's like what I consider a really good friend now um, yeah. and we always we always meet when we go to Cannes and we hang out and stuff and it's like crazy to think that you know I just met that person just by sitting in a cafe having a coffee it wasn't even like oh I need to go to an event and meet someone but that's what Cannes is like it's like opportunities are everywhere so yeah really that's good fun. that's amazing so what are the criteria to get in then so one of the biggest things that they look at is your IMDb, IMDb profile and they sort of use that as a bit of a blanket to sort of work out if you're a professional in the industry and they also ask for a CV and things like the first time you attend, you have to give a lot more information. And then following on from that, they sort of know that you've been already. And then they just want to see that you're currently working in the industry. So they want you to be a professional within the industry. And then, yeah, they sort of check out your IMDb to see that you're current and that you're working and stuff. Um, and then they sort of ask you for some questions like, why do you want to attend the festival and stuff? So you sort of give a little bit of information about that um suck up a little bit if you want to get accepted because can loves can <laughs> so um yeah it's not I mean it is strict but if you are a professional in the industry it's not as strict as you think it is but the thing is you get different levels of passes as well so when you're new and when you've not got as many credits you could get accepted but not necessarily get access to all the areas yeah. and then as you go more and you build your credits then you'll get sort of higher accreditation and you can then get access to more red carpets and things like that which is a bit harsh I guess because you sort of need one to help with the other well you can get credits and stuff without being a big person in can like it's not it's more like um sort of building your career that you would naturally do anyway and then it's more about like um if you want red carpet tickets to certain events so like star wars like solo they were like hotcakes and i didn't get tickets to solo um and then in the end i managed to get some from somebody who didn't want them um but i didn't get in because they'd over ticketed it so I was waiting to walk on the red carpet and got shut off at the gate. So yeah, oh. I know I was so good. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is what Cannes is like, you know, you never really know what's going on, but other films I've had tickets for and other people haven't had tickets for. So it's sort of prioritizing them. Like this year, I don't know exactly how they're going to work things. Like they've said, they've just announced they're going to try and have the festival in July. Um, when usually it's in May so 
not too sure how that's I mean it, everything might be okay by then but I think there'll be a lot of there'll be a lot of worried people I think maybe a lot of people might not go if you put it into perspective that the Grand Lumiere which is the red carpet that you see on the television that cinema so that's a lot of Covid sitting in a room <laughs> yeah Potentially. And then the events that they have, the big events that they have down on the beach at the main parties, they tend to be 2000 capacity as well. So obviously, even if things lifted by then, I don't think we can really be having 2000 people at a party like that. So. No, no, I don't. I don't think so. And the whole point of Cannes, the, a big part of the festival is that people come from all across the whole world and they come together to this tiny, beautiful town and they network and everyone is encouraged to meet as many people as possible and to network as much as possible because that's why you go so <laughs> the idea of chasing where you've been who you've met or you know <laughs> that would be logistically a nightmare yeah I wouldn't want to do it tell you. <laughs> no but someone some whiz will come up with an app or something that you can just download to your phone and that will literally just sort it out for you yeah so I, I I got in touch with you and started following you after I spoke to um Charlie because you're doing you're doing a film with Charlie aren't you I am yeah we're doing power tool cheerleaders versus boy band of the screeching dead am I screeching dead <laughs> no I think that's right I think that's right I think I, I I actually I actually contributed on Kickstarter as well because oh, I, I I want merch. <laughs> yes. Oh my I want, god. I, I want I want merch from it because I I I first met Charlie through David David Shaw, um on um Dead Air. Yes. When I when I did Kickstarter on there, and when I spoke to Charlie, she was like, "Oh my god, we've got all these amazing all these amazing girls who are going to be doing cheerleading." It's like you need to go and follow them and you need to speak to them as well so so I did literally while we were because I had to edit down the the interview to like 40 minutes we were on we were talking for nearly two and a half hours oh wow <laughs> just about everything um and then yeah and and she was like oh you need to do this so do it now while we're talking so that, and I'm like okay fine yeah <laughs> so so yeah and you're you're doing one you're playing one of the cheerleaders in that aren't you I am. I'm playing Mac or Mackenzie, as she's known. She's like a gothic cheerleader, very dry, sarcastic, <laughs> a little bit different to the roles I usually play, which is quite fun. I get to like proper get into costume and have this crazy gothic outfit, and yeah, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, in the little the little promo bit for it, you look completely different. Like you don't look like you or any of your pictures from your Insta or your Facebook, it's like yeah. completely different. Your hair is all different. Yeah. It looks like you've got a fringe in it as well. So I don't know whether it's a wig or... It's all clever magic, movie magic. That's what it is. <laughs> so, so go on, you say movie magic then. Give me some, give me some ideas of, of the sort of movie magic that you've seen when you've been in films. What sort of things have you, have you seen? And from a producer's perspective as well. What sort of things would you implement to sort of have a, a different sort of desired effect than what maybe it is when it's shot? So what do you mean? How do we set things up so that it looks different on camera? Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, my God. There are secrets untold. Um, it's crazy what we do behind the camera, really, to, to get what we need, whether it's like taping pieces of script around the camera or whether it's you'll see someone from the waist up and from the waist down oh my god so I worked on um 13 graves is one of the films that I was in and um that was a horror film shot in the woods mostly in the woods at night uh my shots were done at about 3am in the morning and it was raining <laughs> and in front of me was a bonfire and it was a real bonfire that we were using and so I was simultaneously freezing cold being like soaked from the back but from the front being burnt and having sparks throwing at me from this bonfire um, 
and I was acting and I said to the director John I was like um can you see the rain though and he was like no no we've like adjusted the cameras so don't worry you can't see the rain I was like okay but I'm still being rained on though <laughs> and in the moving magic it looked nothing like it yeah we just got rid of the rain but I had this big prosthetic on my eye and um, giving a little bit away there but yeah I had this big prosthetic with blood everywhere and stuff and like most of the evening I'd been sat just like with my eye pinched um with the prosthetics and then just before we run onto set they then cover it in blood and suddenly it looks like it could be something pretty nasty and so we're shooting this scene and I'm wearing Ugg boots like knee-high Ugg boots and a pair of trackies up to my waist that's slightly rolled down and then I have a glitter mini dress on <laughs> on the top half <laughs> so it's so nowhere near as glamorous as it looks oh my god no the actual filming process is not glamorous but that's what makes it fun you know you do yeah. the glamour afterwards when you do your parties and your red carpets and all that kind of stuff. So See, that's the best, that's got to be the best part about it is the parties and the hobnobbing with famous people and just seeing yourself on the screen. I'd love to see myself on the big screen, <laughs> preferably not with like FBI Wanted or whatever, oh. on Crime Watch or something. It'd be nice. I, I would love to just do like a little bit part, but I, wouldn't even know where to start. What wouldn't to get even... a bit Pardon? You wouldn't know where to start to get a bit I part. honestly wouldn't <laughs> even know where to start. I feel so awkward in front of cameras anyway. I just literally, you ever seen the episode of Friends where they're trying to get Chandler to smile for a wedding picture? Yeah. Literally, I feel like that. Like <laughs> a camera, this sort of stuff is fine. Stick a proper camera on me and it's, I just feel like, yeah, I feel like I'm just Chanda, like, freezing up. Oh, bless you. Do you know one of the best ways to get over that is to do some extras work? If you wanted to see movie magic and you wanted to be on camera but potentially not on camera because a lot of extras aren't really seen anyway, yeah. um, it's one of the most incredible things to be on a huge production and just be there and seeing how it works. And then, yeah, sometimes you end up, on the screen I did a lot of extras work on Broadchurch and um if you watch that you'll see me quite a few times in the in the gallery old David Tennant and Olivia Coleman it's incredible did you, get, did you ever get to chat to them or was it sort of like yeah, we did. well on Broadchurch we it was very strange where we were filming so everyone was sort of sat outside on the floor and it was summer so it was really hot um and we were just sat outside quite a lot of the time while we were waiting when the courtroom stuff was going on so David is a bit more closed off he would sit on his own a lot and he didn't really speak to anyone really but I think it's because he gets quite in his head with what he's doing and um, the only time I spoke to him was the day that I was I managed to get hold of the Broadchurch baby so there's a baby in Broadchurch and um they brought the baby in and I just couldn't help it I ran over and was like can I have a cuddle <laughs> <laughs> so I was holding this baby and um suddenly everyone started coming around and cuddling uh, huddling around me so like Olivia and David and everyone were huddled around me going oh is it your baby I'm like no <laughs> um but yeah we had a chat then but I did speak to Olivia on a couple of occasions she's she's amazing she's like pure magic to see her act in real life as well she's amazing so I can imagine she is because she's she's so talented like ridiculously talented isn't she there's a big monologue in um in Broadchurch that she does in the witness stand it's the second Broadchurch series and we were all in the room when she recorded that and the first take that she did she absolutely nailed it like everyone was silent you could hear a pin prick you could feel the tension in the room was incredible. And then when they said cut, the room just erupted, like it was crazy. And like, they were like, we don't need, we don't need it to do it again. I think they did it again for safety, but they were like, we don't need it. Cause that was so powerful. And yeah, it was amazing. And like, she's not that far away from where we're sitting. Yeah. It's like a free performance, you know? <laughs> Why go to the theatre when you can be an extra and be sat? six feet away from like, well yeah how would you go about being an extra then how would you go about 
getting into acting, what's the first thing that you would say to anybody who wanted to do it? So if you want to get into extras work, the best way is to take some pictures of yourself where you look like yourself and then apply online to the extras agencies. There's lots of really big extras agencies. Um, and I'm sorry, can you hear my daughter singing? I did a little bit earlier. She's got a cracking voice, isn't she? Summer! Summer! <laughs> I don't know if she can hear. She's going to be um, an entertainer. Oh, bless her. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, so they like people who look different and they like people from all different walks of life because a big part of being an extra is they want a massive, diverse range of people. Mm. A lot of the time they struggle to get older people. Um, a lot of the time they struggle to get younger children and stuff because, you know, a big proportion of people that do extras work are generally sort of college age or, yeah. you know, to 25 kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, you can just apply to it and then, you know, they'll send you emails and let you know when they've got work available. You don't obviously have much control or anything over what you end up working on apart from what dates you're on, but because they keep a lot yeah. of it secret. So you don't know what you're going to end up on. Um, but it can be really good fun. I used to do it as like a supplementary thing for my income because obviously in the film industry, um, it can be difficult to keep a, a substantial amount of money coming in. So I used to do it to sort of help with that, but that's how it started and then it ended up being something completely different it ended up being like communities and spending you know half my life on film sets and tv sets and dressing up and getting to live this imaginary world that was so much fun it's really hard work you know 12 hour days and sometimes you're in makeup for a couple of hours if you're doing something special and they're putting all this stuff all over you but yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. I was in The Woman in Black 2 as an extra and I met Simon Oakes, the, um, yeah, Simon Oakes, yeah. through that and I ended up going and meeting with him a couple of times and he sort of mentored me for a little bit as well um, and he invited me to a couple of red carpets, a friend of mine, and I went to a couple of red carpets, like, thanks to him and that was really amazing and you know, all these things have really shaped who I am and sort of my progress in, in the industry. So there's quite a few people that I've met that have like really impacted my career and sort of my life. And he was like, so you need to get on spotlight and you need to, you know, get headshots and all this kind of stuff now is a lot more well known if you're trying to look into the industry. But back then it was quite a few years ago now. <laughs> um, you know, I had no idea how I was going to get into acting at that point. So it was really like cool to like learn firsthand from someone like that. And yeah, I've gone on to meet and work with quite a few really cool people. I met Danny Boyle was on a show that he was directing. He's legendary. We were chatting about his cashmere socks. He was wearing red cashmere socks because he loves cashmere socks on set. He says they're the warmest socks apparently. So <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. I mean yeah, I can imagine that was that, that was quite an experience because he's he's such a talented bloke, like yeah. just ridiculously talented. Slumdog Millionaire is like phenomenal. Yes, absolutely. Phenomenal piece of film that is. And like when you're working as an extra on these programs, you're like talking to and working with and watching them work like I used to spend so much of my time watching the actors and watching the directors and watching the production and everyone would be like what like the other actors would be like what are you doing and I'm like learning I'm <laughs> learning as much as I can right now and then as you go forward you know you end up getting featured work and then you get a taste of what it's like to have a few lines I had a few lines in EastEnders a while back and ended up getting a few bit parts and stuff like that so that was really good and then obviously you sort of learn a little bit more and it, it takes away your fear a little bit of the camera as well because at first you're like what is going on I can imagine it's quite terrifying to sort of be there and have all these people around and just yeah I it, I think it would probably terrify me oh. I think to start off with just just because because I know I'm so awkward like in in if I have to do stage photos I look so awkward like I don't know what to do with my hands or anything oh. it's just but it but like 
normally I'm fine. Like, I can sit on the radio and be absolutely fine. I can do this and just be absolutely fine. It's not a problem. But it, I think it's the fear, I guess, of having all those cameras and everybody watching you. Doing radio is fine. It doesn't matter whether you've got two listeners or two million. You can't see them. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> we can't see them on the set either and the best thing about that you have to remember that if it goes bad they just do it again so true this is true like even if you did the worst job ever they'll just do it again so I'll tell you to go that's different for me about theatre to film like I love the buzz of being in the theatre but it's a buzz but also really scary knowing that however you deliver that line in that moment is how it goes out that's it and that is their experience of what you do from start to finish so that that's all you've got whereas with film I like the way that you can do it a few ways and you can deliver it a few different times and if you feel like something's not right you can often ask to do it again and most of the time you know you're able to do it again and I feel like that is really nice but obviously when it comes to the edit you don't decide which take that they use (laughs) as an actor but I feel like that sort of ability to do it a few times and get it you know polished I really I really like that about film and that's obviously why you wanted to have your own company as well so that you can have control of that and have that control of what what final piece of film you use as opposed to leaving it up into the hands of someone else who may pick something that you really hate or do you think yeah. is not as flattering as it could be? Yeah, I mean, they say sometimes you're too close sometimes because you might pick the scenes where you look more attractive. If you're acting in something that you're also producing and stuff, you might want to look prettier almost. Um, and actually, that might not have been the best take. So sometimes they say you can be too close to the footage like that. But I feel like I quite like it when I look really gritty and it. it like look really different I feel like it's a character it's not me so yeah yeah, it's really good fun as well like creatively I feel like a lot of people who go into the film industry do it because they're creative and often with stuff like this you find other ways to express your creativity as well one route isn't always the one route that you want to do like a lot of painters also do pottery for example like a lot of people who go into one creative area will often branch off and do other things. Doesn't mean they're necessarily very good at them, but it doesn't really matter if you're not good at them. <laughs> it's more about expressing yourself and what you're yeah. doing. So I feel like, you know, a big part of what we are doing, what I was doing the last few years was um, producing. And for a while now, I've been really wanting to direct something and have sort of that different experience and see if it's something I want to do. And for a while I've been watching other directors when I've been on set when I've been acting and seeing what they do and asking for advice and now we're sort of gearing up that um hopefully COVID depending uh, I'm planning to direct my first short film this year um, and see how that goes and see if that's something I want to pursue it's another option (laughs) another string to your bow what what film what what sort of film is it going to be so it is a psychological thriller about postnatal depression and postnatal psychosis okay so it's a kind of monster in the house type yeah film um where there is a new mum who is struggling with this sort of psychotic dreams and psychotic episodes which the the psychotic dreams are sort of then spilling into her um into her everyday life and she's struggling to do anything or say anything to her husband or sort of know how to process this. As with a lot of women who go through this kind of thing, they often blame themselves and they often try and keep it quiet because they feel like they're going to be judged or they feel like maybe guilt for what they're going through. Um, and they don't realise that actually it is, um, you know, it is an, it is an illness um, that can be treated and they can get through it and often it only lasts for a very short amount of time but obviously during that time people do really struggle with it in the same way that depression is an illness that you know can be treated and we can help people who have depression they don't have to go through it alone and it's the same with the postnatal depression and postnatal psychosis that 
just because they're going through this really difficult thing um, doesn't mean that there isn't light at the end of the tunnel. No. We've taken it on a very kind of thriller kind of avenue. So it started off being a bit more drama, but I kind of wanted a bit more of a punch with it. And there's some yeah. really fun stuff that's happening in her dreams that I'm really excited to shoot as well. So. We can see it as well. I can see it in your face as you're talking about it, that you're excited about it. It's, I guess it's one of those sort of topics that it does affect a lot of women and it does affect a lot of families. And to be able to explore it from that perspective is kind of, and as a mother yourself, obviously, you know, that's quite a dark sort of thing to go down, but also, I guess, a learning curve as well. And it's definitely going to be something to test your teeth for, from a directorial point of view. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a big, it's a big one to go in with. But the thing is, I don't do things by half. So I don't really want to do a film that I feel wishy-washy about when this is something I'm super passionate about. Yeah. So I'm like, well, it might be a lot to take on. But, you know, if it wasn't a lot to take on, then it wouldn't be something I would be interested in. I'm always pushing myself and challenging myself to do more and find something harder. So, yeah. yeah it's if, it, if it's easy, it's not worth doing. Exactly. And I've got a really clear vision for like the style that I want to go down and sort of some of the sort of shooting um, camera angles and stuff that I want to explore as well. So it's going to be really stylized. It's not going to just be playing it safe. So again, people will probably either love it or hate it, but that's kind of like how people feel about me. So <laughs> how, how is that even possible? I can't even... No, but I love Marmite and I can't understand how anyone wouldn't love it so <laughs> I often refer to myself as Marmite but there we go I think a lot of people do don't they a lot of people do I saw your um saw your pictures that you put on Instagram the the real dark sort of where you're crying almost yeah. um I literally when I first saw it I was like is she okay and then <laughs> obviously saw the blurb for it as well and I think you might have worried a few people with <laughs> with those judging from the comments. I know, I really didn't mean to. I had a lot of messages from people worried about me um, and saying that they didn't like to see me sad. And obviously everyone's having a bit of a hard time in lockdown and you yeah. know, I've had a really hard time the last year with a lot of stuff as well. So to think that I might be having a hard time isn't that much of a stretch. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was, it was acting as I like to say. Yeah. It's interesting because my Instagram is um, quite different from sort of my Facebook and my. It's like polar opposite. Yeah, it's like I find my Instagram. I love like taking photos of myself in a way that is like really different and creative, and I like to be quite sexy and I like to have fun and do sort of different things like that. Um, whereas like my actual sort of film roles that I have haven't always been like that yeah um, and like my acting side of it is very different on Facebook and stuff so it was quite interesting to sort of share those images of me acting and sort of see how how they were received and, and what people thought of it but obviously <laughs> it's scary, people. But that's a good thing that's a good thing yeah this is the the basically the tester sort of tee shots that I was taking to see if it might be good for the poster for the film that I'm making and sort of to take how they were being received and see whether it's something I was going to go down a bit further which you know considering everyone was really shocked and horrified I think I got people's attention so yeah 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 most definitely it's definitely it's definitely something that that you could use for that if that's a sort of tone of the film by the yeah. sounds of it, it is that you want to go down, then yeah, that would be something that would most definitely grab somebody's attention. Yeah, that's what we need to do grab attention. <laughs> yes, definitely. So, what's the, the, what's the biggest production you've been on or the one that you took the most from when you was on? Oh, God. Um, That's quite, a, that's quite a big question. I think the one that I've been thinking about a lot recently and the one that has like impacted me the most quite recently was the, I did, was I think it was my last film extra role as well. Um, I worked on Wonder Woman 2. Okay. So 
it was a different scale of production. Like I've worked on some really huge films before. Like I've worked with some really big celebrities. I worked on um, Before I Go to Sleep with Nicole Kidman and Colin yep. Firth. I actually played Nicole's body double. And I'm falsely credited as being naked on the internet as her body double. So if you look my name up and write naked next to it, you'll find some pictures of some woman that isn't me. <laughs> but I worked as her body double on that. And, you know, there's, I spooned Colin Firth and that was really good fun. And yeah, I got, I had some really good chats with Colin. Like we spent three days together and it was, yeah, you know, that was amazing and everything, but sort of this this Wonder Woman thing that I did like as the last film extras role, it kind of had a bit of a sour taste in the mouth really because it was crazy to see this level of like cogs that were working all around us and the amount of um, security, like all of our phones were taken and it was like next level security on mm. this production. Um, but I was cast as a featured role as an FBI agent and so I was super excited because that would mean that it wouldn't just be like deep background roles that I would potentially be seen. Yeah. Um, and I was one of a very small handful of people that were cast as these FBI agents. So um, we go through all the process of going through hair and makeup and getting to set and everything. And we're waiting to be dressed on to set. And the AD who's looking after us dresses everyone else in and it's probably worth noting now that there were five of us and four of them were men and one of them was me, a woman. And they dressed all the men in and um, I was waiting and wasn't dressed in. And then I spoke to the idea and I said, when am I gonna be being dressed in? And he was like, well, I don't think that women should be FBI agents. And I was like, what? And my heart sunk and I had a pit in my stomach. And I just stood there and I didn't say anything and I nearly burst out crying and I was like what do you mean and especially as someone who runs the yes she can thing and yeah. he's really advocating for women my brain was racing a million miles an hour at how this person who hasn't cast me or paid for me to be here or anything at this point could say to me that because he doesn't believe that women should be FBI agents that he's essentially taking me off the production yeah. and so he he put me to one side and I just stood there and I was like do I go home like I feel like this is really bad like I'm just want to walk out of this set this is really not okay and I was like having a bit of a meltdown <laughs> and um I couldn't understand what was happening and they dressed the other FBI agents to get in this car and they all get out the car and follow um Gal Gadot's character it like Wonder Woman into this building and I was just stood there watching, like, I that was me. That's why I've been paid to be here. That was that was my role. And it was a really awesome scene and everything, and quite a poignant scene in the film. And um he just he took my FBI badge off me, this AD, and said, You're gonna be a passerby, and just like threw me into the background. And it for me, it was really pivotal because. I didn't say anything and I've not spoken about it publicly before and it was sort of a very hard thing for me to process and for me to understand and I know there are reasons why things happen differently on set for all kinds of reasons like they've hired too many people or um, they don't need you for some other reason but to be told that point blank that this guy wasn't going to put me into this scene because I was a woman um, I just I was floored and I felt really guilty of not having done anything or said anything or yes yeah. for myself in that moment but the thing is when these ha things happen you can think how you might react but that's not always necessarily how you do react and um I cried about that for quite a long for quite a few days I cried about that because I was really shaken up by the whole thing and I think that was again a big reason why I stopped doing the essay work like that because I just thought there's sometimes you do get treated badly as an extra because people sort of see you as the bottom of the, the ladder but I'd never been felt that badly before so yeah it's been something that's been playing on my mind a lot because obviously I love Wonder Woman I love the franchise I absolutely love everything they stand for and but Patty Jenkins <laughs> is an advocate for women in film that's why she's so passionate about pushing 
Wonder Woman um, and, and, you know, getting it out there and really sort of advocating women in film. Yeah. And the, the fact that that happened on her production and it was a male that did it. It's such a chauvinistic, ignorant thought to come up with. I don't think women should be FBI agents. Was he speaking as his own thing or was he speaking as from the 80s? Because in the 80s, women were FBI agents. There's no... Regardless of his opinion, I've been paid and dressed. I've gone through hair and makeup yeah. and costume. I've sat around. I've got a badge. Like, as far as all intents and purposes, the production are... is that there should be a woman as an FBI yeah. agent. But that particular man in that particular moment decided that he didn't think that that was appropriate. And therefore, he shifted she shifted things and then you end up with a whole car full of men getting out and you end up with a whole car full of men doing this whole thing and it's a different tone and I'm sure that if Patty had known I considered whether I would write an email I considered whether I'd tell the agency whether I'd um, tweet her and say this happened on your film set yesterday but I didn't feel at the time strong enough or like it was something that I was prepared to deal with because I was so hurt by the whole thing but It just goes to show that you can have people that are fighting for and that are moving things in a progressive way. But if you have people around who are not doing the same thing or supporting the same narrative, that it might not always come through. And on the grand scheme of the film and everything, just not having one woman doing that one tiny scene isn't going to change the whole film. And it's not a big thing in the grand scheme of things. But to one person's experience or to the people around me who heard and saw what was going on and to the other men who were dressed into the scene and they you know experienced what had happened as well it's almost telling other people around that that was okay and that treatment was okay and it's the butterfly effect of well actually if you decide that you don't like something then you can change it but in the negative way instead of necessarily in the sort of progressive it would have it would have completely changed that scene because it would have just, it would have backed up everything that Wonder Woman stands for, not just as a character, but as a franchise within the DC universe. And what Patty Jenkins is trying to, yeah. to push, you know, well, having she... that in, having you in that scene would have been further embodiment of what she's trying to get across. Yeah. And she can say, I want this many people and I want that many people, but when you're running a big film set you probably don't notice as someone like on that size production all the little details you trust the people that you've brought on to have your vision and you can't control everything micromanaging it at that level yeah it was quite a impactful thing obviously for me that happened and it did leave me feeling quite guilty as to you know I can try and do what I can with the yes you can stuff and I can try and do what I can with what I believe but when things come to it it is really difficult to say anything or to do anything I think if it had happened to somebody else I would have felt it was a lot easier to say something but I think because it was happening to me and it was such a shock and I'm quite an emotional person so I was just you know trying my best to be professional and to not burst yeah. out tears or when I was a lot younger I probably would have stormed off the set and kicked up a massive fuss but I you know hopefully matured past that phase but yeah it's it still leaves you with that bit of taste in your mouth doesn't it that it leaves you with that you know Hollywood just hasn't changed it may be in certain people's views but the people like the AD and those around there, they still have that. It just goes to show that we do have more work to do because sometimes I speak to people and they sort of think that women's issues or women's rights have been dealt with and that equality is now here and it's fine. And actually, I think it's still a journey and it's still a progress that we're going on to fight for sort of equality and obviously not just for women, for still so many minority groups as well. But... I think some people's attitude a little bit can be like oh we did that like we did the me too thing we did that we moved on like everything's fine now and you're like well the fundamental attitudes of people are still we're still working and I think we have to be aware ourselves to keep 
progressing and also to be aware when we see it to other people and you know say something if we can but it's not always that easy it's not always that easy it's it's like all it takes for evil to succeed is for good people to say nothing and it's that kind of tone of like you can know what's right but saying or doing anything about it is a completely different game completely different it's incredible that's just shocking that's honestly I I mean I've watched Wonder Woman 84 I've watched it two or three times Mm. you know but even something like that can change an opinion of a film when you know what goes because you just don't know what goes on in the background and what's supposed to happen and then what ends up on screen and wow that's um like I want to see it but I'm dealing with my own kind of issues with it but like as a Wonder yeah. Woman fan like my sister and I dressed up as Wonder Woman legit legit dressed up as Wonder Woman and went to see the first Wonder Woman film in the cinemas together <laughs> we were like fully excited and on that yeah. so have this like kind of bad tone to the to the sequel is hard but I'd like to see it and you know I still love you know what everyone's doing with it it's just you know something I need to to process Process. yeah wow Uh, yeah that's the that's the biggest sort of thing at the moment for me that's like a project that I've worked on like again because I don't do extras work anymore but that was a a big reason why I stopped yeah I I can imagine experiences on sets where what's your what's your best experience on set Oh god, I hate picking things like this because no, no, you know what you don't don't have to just. There must be something you love most about being on set. Then the thing, what's the thing you love most about being on set? The thing I love most is it's literally movie magic. Like what you see is this world that they've created, and what is happening is there are cranes and there are a million cameras everywhere on rigs and there is like people stood behind the set like going to walk onto set like breaking into character like when you do something like a period drama for example that is like stepping back into a completely different world and you do feel so much like you're part of it's like make-believe on a times one million scale (laughs) basically you just like end up in this world for a short period of time just loving life and I worked on um I worked on Legend with Tom Hardy so I actually was really lucky to get um a role where I had a couple of lines with him now in the final edit they were cut but if you do watch Legend you'll see me I have a big beehive I play the photographer in Esmeralda's bar and we had a donkey on set one day. <laughs> As you do, Tom Hardy and a donkey. Exactly. And the first time I ever saw him, he walked on, he likes to be in character um, a lot when he's on set. And he walked, and I'd never seen him before and ever. And he walks onto set and he wipes his nose up the sleeve of his arm and like makes this like grunting noise and then he says something he swears I don't know if you can swear on your podcast but he swears I'm like oh my god this is the Tom Hardy that we all know and love and see on tv and he was playing obviously both the Cray brothers so some days he'd come in and he'd be really smartly dressed and he'd and because he was like embodying the characters all the time whatever he was doing so yeah we had some real good fun like he hates paparazzi he hates photographers and my role was to have this really old traditional camera with a light um with a light bulb in it and when you take the photo the light bulb itself actually does flash it sparks it goes off that's how they used to do it and so he he didn't like me no I wasn't his favorite person he was like can you get this thing out of my face (laughs) um yeah it was crazy but magic at the same time you know you're sort of wearing these really decadent outfits and swanning around and you just can't believe that like this is your 
this is your job you know yeah. being paid to be here like half the time I mean sometimes on set it's really hard work but half the time you think I can't believe you're paying me to do this I'd be doing this for free like this is so much fun is it is it good is it is it good pay no not really if you do overtime and if you do like you used to get things like if your lunch was late you'd get an extra tenner or whatever and stuff so sometimes it would add up really quickly like I worked on 24 live another day yeah. and um I'm actually featured on their wiki, wiki page as well um because I did an interview way back with some American fanatics who love the show um and I was like a, an agent and so there was about 20 of us and we've spent weeks and weeks and weeks in the bullpen going in and out and just pretending to look like we're working in an office And that was quite an experience, you know, there's probably things that I shouldn't say about that whole experience, but it was crazy. Like he kept getting his chair nicked because it had his name on it and everyone wanted it. So they had to get him a crappy chair so that it wouldn't get nicked anymore. And, oh, it was crazy. But working on that film set, we earned so much money because we were constantly doing overtime and we were constantly doing um, extra stuff. So that was good. We were getting like 250, 300 a day. Um, but, you know, on if you work for the BBC, <laughs> good old don't pay very good. Good old auntie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, their rates are not so good. And because they work a lot more clockwork, whereas like 24 will shoot and they want to get it shot as quickly as they can. Whereas like the BBC, it's their day job and they're doing it every day. So if you're on EastEnders, you know that the chances are you're going to finish on time and everything is going to be super structured, but also you're probably not going to make very much money because it's the overtime where you make a lot of money. So yeah, EastEnders wasn't my favourite to work on as an extra because it's a lot of sitting around in the cold. <laughs> yeah, it's all outside mainly, isn't not it? The most yeah yeah it's like a lot of yeah walking around the marketplace and stuff like that like I played a pregnant girl once there's a scene where is it Danny Dyer's wife was pregnant or something um and I had a couple of lines in that scene with a big baby bump so that was quite interesting but that was quite a few years ago now maybe five years you've ago you've just done now. so much you've just done loads like I know I have. I mean, I think about all the people I've met and all the people I've worked with and stuff. It's it's crazy to think that this is my life. This is my like, life. You just <laughs> chuck out names like Colin Firth and Tom Hardy. It's like like it's nothing. Like just literally yeah. nothing. Oh, I got to spoon with Colin Firth. I think you probably make about half of the more mature female population red with red with rage and green with envy. <laughs> Unreal. he was such a great guy though honestly he was such a lovely man he was getting his eyelashes and his eyebrows tinted in the makeup room I just I was just sat there having a chat with him I was just like this is crazy like Colin first getting his eyebrows done <laughs> I mean you would never ever ever think that that would ever be the case he seems like a very a very old-fashioned man but then you see him in like uh, Kingsman and you can think yeah. you know he could pull that off really well like kicking ass and so I had a date when I was working on before I go to sleep and I had gone upstairs to get changed out of the costume and um, I was wearing a pink polka dot dress it was a strapless short pink polka dot dress and I had like eight inch Kurt Geiger pink heels on as well and I'd been all day like in pajamas because the scene that I'm in where I'm body doubling for Nicole I'm in pajamas and then I came downstairs wearing this and he looked at me and he was like wow you look amazing and I was like oh my god this is like the compliment of my life and he was like where are you going and I was like oh I'm going on a date and he was like he is a really lucky man and I was like that is amazing like that's so sweet and I was like on cloud nine but he wasn't inappropriate at all like he was constantly ringing his wife and you yeah. know such a family man but to have him say that the way that he said it was like such a genuine compliment I was like so flattered I was like I'm never going to be complimented like that 
in my life ever again. That's like the pinnacle of compliments. <laughs> like, yeah. Are you thinking look nice to you? Well, are you Colin Firth in a doorway <laughs> with his jaw on the ground? <laughs> I mean, from a female perspective, I guess you're probably thinking, yeah, that's done. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's peak there. I know, crazy, huh? Oh, dear. Faith, thank you so much for your time. I know I've taken up probably a bit more than, than I probably thought, <laughs> but it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure and it's been a real eye-opener as well. It's been a real eye-opener. I will, um, I will do some podcast magic and edit a few bits and pieces. Honestly, it's audacity and deleting stuff. <laughs> That's pretty much it. It's, it's, it's nothing major. But I will, I will a few bits and pieces and then I will make sure that this goes out on Tuesday um, yeah. and I will be playing this on my radio show on Monday night so okay. I always I always play these on my radio show on Monday nights and then yeah. they go on the podcast on a Tuesday so the okay. the radio station gets gets to have the exclusive first yeah, um, yeah. and then my podcast although my podcast has substantial more listeners than the radio station but yeah i think the radio station Hopefully. gets something like fifty thousand. my podcast is 6.2 million subscribers so wow. yeah did you do it full time then no it's just a hobby i do it for a hobby mm -hmm. i literally I, 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 subscribers for a hobby <laughs> yeah i've been doing it a little while you know what it was it was just because i i did a game of thrones I did a Game of Thrones radio show and turned it into a podcast and literally put it out and shared it into loads of Facebook groups, like Game of Thrones Facebook groups. And then that was it. It got Amazing. like a ridiculous amount of shares. I think it's probably still my most listened to podcast. And it was like yeah. two years ago. It still, it still has sort of, I don't know, 100, 200 listens a day. It's crazy. It's just ridiculous, but are yeah. The, are you jumping on the Bridgerton bandwagon? No. Is it not no. your thing? No. Stick I to Game of Thrones. I, I sort of watched it. I watched the first episode and I was like, no. Like, okay. just, no, it's not my sort of thing. So, uh, no, my sort of thing is, uh, I don't know if you can see, that's my Lost Boys tattoo there. Oh, yeah. This is all, it's all 80s films. Oh yeah. So I, I have it going all the way up my arm. It's not finished yet, but I'm um yeah, no, I prefer 80s stuff and Cobra Kai and uh, I'm actually just binge watching Lucifer at the minute. I've never seen it. I'm absolutely hooked. I watched Lucifer recently. Literally. It's so good. Uh, Tom Ellis is like phenomenal. He's Honestly, so I don't know what I'd do. If he walked in the room, I'd probably die. He is just like, <laughs> he's, you know, he's... the obsession with you, the Netflix show. Yeah. You know, everyone said like he's a serial killer, but we're like, he's got that bad boy. I've never had that bad boy thing. I'm like, yeah, but he's horrible. With Lucifer, I'm like, oh, that's because man, he's not really bad that bad. I know he's not. It's everybody else around him. I know he's always trying to be good. Yeah, which is uh, which is ironic considering the mythology around Lucifer. But yeah, I'm um, I yeah. So I'm binge watching that at the minute. I've I, I kind of like yeah. I'm not a fan of like I'm not a fan of Downton Abbey or anything like that. It doesn't. I mean, Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies. I quite like. Oh that. yeah. That was pretty yeah. decent. Pride and Prejudice. Nah, I weren't into that like at all. Yeah. So no, anything with like zombies or action or just anything like that, yeah, with an eighties feel to it, or it's got a decent story arc. Then I watch Bridgerton. Just I see everyone posting it on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm like, well, everyone's posting about it, so I'm not gonna watch it. I know. No, it's, I don't. I, I like to. I used to be like that, and then I realised that it's really unhealthy. Like, I still haven't seen Game of Thrones, don't at me. How? How have you because, never seen it? Because it was that thing where everyone was watching it and talking about it. And I think at first it was only on Sky, and then it was available somewhere else. But because everyone was like, it's the best thing ever, I was like, I'm not watching that. But now I'm like, 
I'm gonna have to watch it because yeah. I it sounds like exactly up my street. It's just when can I dedicate? I mean, I know I've got isolation, but I also have a kid that can't. Yeah, you have a yeah. You've got you've got your daughter, and you can't really watch Game of Thrones when she's awake. No, exactly. So I'm like, when do I have like a, how do you how long do you reckon like a month, two weeks? How long to binge? Um, it well, it depends on how quickly you want to binge it. They're about forty five minutes an episode. Um, right. I mean, you would probably need to dedicate. I would say three, four hours in the evening, depending on what time you want to go to bed and what time summer goes to bed. Mm. Maybe for five days, doing it seven days a week probably be a little bit unhealthy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> depends on what you want to do with your time, I guess. But no, I think... I'm thinking it's half term soon, so I get a few days off. So I wonder if I can do... You could, If you could dedicate like three full days of hardcore Game of Thrones from like, 10 o'clock until 10 o'clock I reckon you'll probably get through three maybe four seasons okay so it's still a lot more to go okay yeah I mean yeah there's a lot to process but as the seasons get further along the episodes get a little bit longer but there's less of them okay a lot less work out like watching it on a slower scale because yeah. it sounds like a lot a lot a lot it's I'm a, a binge yeah, it's got a lot to take in though there's so much going on I've watched it three times and I still pick up stuff that I've missed because you, you you're focusing on so many other things it's it's there's so much going on really famous scene where there's a guy and he's got his junk out and he's running yeah there's a few of those oh is there a few <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I know a guy who did one of those scenes and he was shouting something as he runs through the street or something. I can't remember. Yeah. I know a guy. He's he's told me quite a few times that that's him in it. My that's mother. him running around with his junk out. Perfect. Yeah. Go and check out my massive schlong. I'm like, okay. <laughs> maybe I won't, actually. <laughs> no, maybe I won't. I mean, as chat up line goes, I was in Game of Thrones and I got my, my piece out. I know. <laughs> Honestly, that's well. On that bombshell, then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh dear. Well, thank you so much. Don't need to edit that bit out. <laughs> yeah, I, I probably will. To be fair, I probably will. <laughs> Although for the podcast, I'll just leave it in. I always just leave. I, I pretty much leave the podcast as a raw, as a raw audio. I will just change it put it on and then that's it just send it. i will take a few bits out but for yeah. the best for the most part i'll just leave it all in and can i just say how well we did that the dog didn't make an appearance like normally she'll be like whining and at yeah. one point i had her dreaming she started to yip and i was like stroking her like no go back don't yip in your sleep <laughs> we well. got away with that one well, we got we got some free singing from from summer as well, which yeah, was we lovely. Did. Although to be fair, you could barely hear it, so it's fine. It's fine. Bless her heart. Well, thank you so much, Faith. Honestly, I really appreciate it. I really no do. Okay. All right. Awesome. Thank you. No worries. Have a lovely evening. Thanks. Bye. See you later.